With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch right at your fingertips and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Insured by NCUA. From South Bend, Indiana, in the shadows of the Golden Dome, Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports bring you Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values, why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's time to get you caught up on all things Irish. Here's John Brock and Angelo DiCarlo. It's been a difficult season for the Irish football team as they sit at 4-3 and three on the year, but now comes the stretch run with three of the final five opponents being ranked in the top 20, including two straight with undefeated fifth-ranked Clemson coming to town next week and today on the road at number 16 Syracuse, which will host its biggest home game in decades. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo, so glad to be with you again this morning on Redeemer Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. Joined, as always, by John Brock and John. Notre Dame coming off what I would label a lackluster win over UNLV. It was a win, but there were a lot of question marks coming out of it against a team that's just not very good. And they'll face their two best opponents now of the season since Ohio State this week at Syracuse and next week versus Clemson. Uh, certainly a huge challenge ahead for the Irish these next two weeks. Yeah, yeah, there's no question about that. But when has there not been question marks and confusion around this Notre Dame team? I feel like that's just been the entire season because you just don't know what you're going to expect when you see them come out on the field. It, it You could be getting a great Notre Dame team who's stepping up and trying to beat Ohio State or beating B, BYU and UNC or someone who's losing to Marshall and barely beating Cal and, and Stanford at home. But it's uh, it's a Notre Dame team that should have just had a blowout win versus UNLV. There was great performances, uh, some great catches by Mayer, some punt blocks by Foskey. Uh, Logan Diggs, great in the running game. But it's just, no matter how you look at it, the scoreboard should have been a bigger differential for Notre Dame versus UNLV. And yeah, le- you it, just don't know. It, it leaves you saying, uh-oh, you do these things again against yeah. Syracuse and Clemson, you're going to be in deep trouble. Yeah, That's the bottom line. It, it you, haven't fixed, you haven't fixed a lot of the problems. You just mass them in a win over against a, a crummy team. Exactly. It, no matter how you look at it, it just the the eye test, how they're looking, the stats, the, the numbers, they should have had a better win. All right. Uh, and you hope they're not sleepwalking today because it's a noon Eastern kickoff, their earliest kickoff uh, of the season here, and Syracuse is going to be fired up. Trust me. I know some Syracuse fans. They're, they're fired up for this one, to say the least. On tap on this morning's show, Marcus Freeman weighs in on what, what we learn about this Notre Dame football team in two weeks, kind of what we were just discussing. Our focus on faith interview is the is with the first black leprechaun in Notre Dame history, Mike Brown. He's a children's author now. His new book is is really great, and he's a great man of faith. I'll tell you, at one point he had me tearing up. A story and interview you won't want to miss next segment. We'll, of course, break down the matchup with Syracuse, who has two sensational offensive players, but also really tough-minded defense, and a defense that is really good in the red zone, something Notre Dame struggles in on both sides of the ball. And, of course, we'll discuss what the Irish need out of June Pine today. But let's start with a, an injury update. And it's, for the most part, good news this week for once for Notre Dame. Brandon Joseph, Jaden Mickey, Jack Kaiser, all expected to be good to go after being limited or out last week. This has nothing to do with today's game. But Tyler Buckner on track for a January recovery. Syracuse running back Sean Tucker vows he's healthy. Uh, after receiving just five carries last week. Coach Diener Baber said that that should not have happened. He should have gotten more, and it's been addressed. So maybe you'll see Sean Tucker getting the ball a lot more here today. Syracuse cornerback Garrett Williams suited up but did not play versus Clemson, injured his leg versus NC State. He's questionable for today. Normally I'd say that's a big deal in a game like this, but then again we know what Notre Dame's wide receivers are like. So if you're going to lose a position, if you're Syracuse, maybe – that's the position that won't matter the most. This is the 11th all-time meeting between Notre Dame and Syracuse, but their first meeting in the Carrier Dome since 2003. you got to go back to when I was an undergrad for the last time these two teams played. 
and Syracuse wasn't very good, and Syracuse won 38-12. The Carrier Dome was rocking that day. Syracuse is good this year for the first time since before then. The JMA Wireless Dome, as they now call it, will be rocking, uh, to say the least, for the biggest game at the Dome in 20-plus years. Uh, so certainly a, a lot at stake in this one. And a as we mentioned, Syracuse today, Clemson next week. Here's Marcus Freeman on the need for his team to play its best football right now. And that's the reality of where we're at and the opponents we have upcoming. And that if we play well, we have the ability to, to beat anybody we play. I, I firmly believe that. When we don't play well, it's hard to make up for it and win. Um, and so we have to prepare and, and execute and play well. We have to, we'll see these next two weeks um, what type of football team we have because you're playing two really good opponents and uh, it's going to be um, really uh, a measuring sticks for how good this team is and what, what we do when it really matters. All right, that's Marcus Freeman over the next two weeks. So we've, of course, have gone with our confidence poll every single week to see, you know, how are Notre Dame fans feeling? And after UNLV, six wins or less, 29%. So that's basically saying you anticipate them losing today. Seven wins, 49%, probably saying you're winning today and then losing to Clemson and USC. Eight wins, just 18%. Nine wins, 4%. 78% say seven wins or less, which is understandable. Again, three of your last five opponents are, are top 20 teams. Uh, so that, But that's actually, that number went up from a week ago. Um, after Stanford, it was 77% say seven or less. So the UNLV game actually got a few more people to say, I think this team's worse than I thought, which I, is interesting. I wonder if it's the UNLV game, which it should maybe still raise some concerns, but you also saw Syracuse and Clemson, and Syracuse almost able to pull that one off, and I think that really woke up some Notre Dame fans to the fact that this Syracuse team is the real deal. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Uh, Syracuse was in it. Certainly, they were leading the majority of the game, then lost it at the end, losing 27-21 to Clemson, and you're right. Maybe it's a matter of not so much how Notre Dame's playing, but going, uh-oh, this team's a little bit better than, 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 than we realized. Okay, so that puts the onus on Drew Pine. Uh, going into this game uh, at Syracuse, I mean, his first three starts, he, he completed 73% of his passes, nine touchdowns, two interceptions, 721 yards. Versus Stanford, 13 of 27, one touchdown. Versus UNLV, 14 of 28, two touchdowns, one interception. He has not played well each of the last two weeks. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to what Marcus Freeman said. You know, when we play well, we can hang with him and beat anyone. When we don't, we, we can't. And, and that really starts through Drew Pine. I mean, he played really well uh, against BYU and in those early weeks, UNC. But he's just not playing well, especially at home. And then especially those last two, Stanford and UNLV, he struggled. And Marcus Freeman stresses preparation and all these things. You wonder what it is. Is he not preparing for those those games when he doesn't see the big-name team on the other side or, or what the deal yeah, is? Yeah, I, I don't think it's that, and you'll hear from him in a second about that. But I, I don't – yeah, I, I don't think it's not preparation. I just – I don't know what it is. But, Something is not clicking. But, but he's, is what it is. he's certainly playing better away yeah. from campus than he is on campus. Uh, played his best ball, as we mentioned, at UNC and versus BYU in Vegas. So here's offensive coordinator Tommy Reese acknowledging that this week. Yeah, we need him to play like he does on the road, right? Uh, look, to beat a good team, you got to have good quarterback play. And that's the expectation. That's the um, approach we take. He's got nothing but confidence right now. We continue to build forward. He's working hard to get ready to go. And, you know, we're hoping to build off this last week and continue to march forward. Okay, pretty simple. Uh, you need him to play like he does on the road. The difference is... He has not played in a road environment like this. Notre Dame has. They played Ohio State back in week one in a hostile environment. I don't care what anyone says. North Carolina is no hostile environment, okay? And BYU, yes, was away, but it was a home game. I mean, there were more Notre Dame fans yeah. than there were BYU fans. That's the bottom line. Whether or not it wasn't a 95% uh, Notre Dame fan base, it doesn't matter. It was still more Notre Dame fans than BYU fans, so the atmosphere felt like 
like it as a Notre Dame home game. So he hasn't played in a hostile environment, and John, certainly that impacts the quarterback more than anybody because the crowd is loud when the team is on offense for the opposing team to try to get him off his mark. Well, it definitely impacts the offense, and this offense, as we've seen, who likes to check down and call in a different play halfway through, that's great point. very hard to do when, there, when there's a lot of no- noise, but they do do a, uh, a silent snap quite often, so that does help. They've worked that in throughout the season, and there's no question there, but you don't know how he'll how Drew Pine himself will handle that environment, and he definitely hasn't handled the, the home environment that well, and that's become hostile at times given their performance at home. And this could be louder than Ohio State because it is a dome, and the carrier dome can get really loud. Uh, usually it does not get very loud for football because usually it's an atrocious football team. Okay, I've been there plenty of times when the carrier dome has been insane for basketball and has been the best uh, environment I've ever seen. And that's when there's 35,000 people there, not 50. And now they'll have 50, uh, which is capacity at the Carrier Dome. And it's going to be loud because those fans are going to be ready to go. I believe you when you say it's going to be loud. I was at that Ohio State game. I don't know if it'll be louder than that. That yeah, was pretty impressive. But it, I believe it's 50,000 people I'm, in a dome. I'm saying yeah, the and, fact and, that it's in a dome. If it was open air, I'm going to give and, it to Ohio State. And no State. question, that's, that's going to make it a lot harder on this offense. You, you see what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm taking yeah, it into account. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. <laughs> I know Ohio State's got a better fan base for football than Syracuse. I'm not crazy twice as many people in the stadium and 20 <laughs> twice as many people in the stadium but it's the enclosed environment yeah. that i'm saying that it'll, could it'll ma- echo and that, it'll be tough and and make a difference that the the walls are bouncing off and and everything like that all right here's drew pine offensive lineman joe alt you know that's just something that you practice on uh every day and you know that's what we're gonna do is we're just gonna do control everything we can control you know we can't control a loud stadium but what we can tro- control is us practicing to be able to uh, be able to go and operate. Yeah, I, we know, you know it's going to be a dome, so you know, the sound's not going to leave the stadium as much. It's going to be loud. Um, I think it's yeah. crucial for us, you know, work the silent snap count this week, be ready for all the noise, be prepared for it um, this week. So when we go in, to just know that's going to be there and uh, perform our best. All right, it's Drew Pine, then Joe Alt talking about the the loudness that will be the carried the JMA wireless. Do- I don't care. I'm calling it the carry dome. Even though, funny note for those listening that don't know, it was called the carry dome for years and has no air conditioning which is Carrier's uh, <laughs> air conditioning company. Uh, that's just one of the funny things ever in that regard. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again, uh, it's going to be a loud environment. It's going to be hostile in that regard. Syracuse hasn't been this good in, in a long time. So I, it'll be interesting to see. I asked Marcus Freeman about that. It's a l- little different. And, you know, what he said was, he goes, you know, I'm worried about that sort of, but not really. Um, I'm worried about, a noon kickoff a little earlier than usual because they're college kids. You got to wake up earlier. It's different than playing at two thirty, three thirty, and certainly eight o'clock. Um, so I thought that was interesting. They mentioned that's the thing there, and it can get hot in the dome. Um, so you could actually surprisingly have cramps in the in Syracuse in late October. Seems odd to think, but inside it can get warm, especially when you got fifty thousand people in there. Yeah, and I definitely think he's pointing out the right concern there because you get into a rhythm with these games. You're playing a lot of late-night games. You're playing a lot of those 2.30 games, and it's not that much earlier when you look at it a couple hours, but you're on the road. It changes the whole schedule for the day, and it really could cause something like cramps where these players just haven't prepared fully by noon. I can never remember wearing anything more than a T-shirt ever for any football or basketball game ever at the Carrion. So let's just put that in perspective of it's it's that warm that you're constantly thinking you're you're only gonna ever wear a t-shirt there. So um so that 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 can make a difference in the, in that regard that Notre Dame's got to be ready for and the hydration factor will be a big factor. Irish Sports Saturdays thanks Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this show as the largest Catholic oriented credit union in America. Notre Dame FCU serves the church in many dioceses for eighty plus years. They've put people over profits. Notre Dame slash elevate you already share their values. Why not share their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. All right, let's talk about the red zone because man. Notre Dame has not been good on defense in the red zone. Now, they haven't allowed many teams to get to the red zone, only 17 times. That's not that many times. But opponents have scored every single trip to the red zone. We know it's because they don't force any turnovers. (laughs) But Notre Dame and Rutgers, John, are the only two schools in the country that have allowed their opponents to score on every single trip 
to the red zone. Even UConn has a stop in the red zone. Yeah, it's it's pretty atrocious when you look at it. Notre Dame ranked 130th out of, out of tied with Rutgers out of the 131 teams. It's just you look at a program like Notre Dame and you just wonder they have a pretty good defensive cast and they just can't seem to get things done when it counts when the the team gets into the red zone. They give up points every time. For context, Syracuse is 15th. That's solid. That's that's a pretty good red red zone defense. And so this mis- mismatch, they're going to be able to handle Notre Dame's offense. But the question is, what Notre Dame defense will we get? And they haven't stepped up yet. And here's the other factor. It would be one thing if you're mitigating those touchdowns and, and it's, it's field goals. Forcing the field goals. 14 out of 17 of those trips have been touchdowns. 82%. That's not a good conversion rate if you're, if you're Notre Dame. So here's Marcus Freeman on Endy's issues in the red zone defensively. Well, I, it's frustrating because it, it isn't like we do a whole bunch of different things on a red zone. And uh, as you look at the UNLV game, a couple self-inflicted wounds in terms of um, – mistakes that we shouldn't make you know and so uh, I would hope it's not confusion but you got to look at yourself as a coach and and look at the players and say okay where's the 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 miscommunication coming from this is what we want you to do and you're not doing it so is it a teaching error is an understanding execution error and so um, we got to make sure that we know exactly what we want to do if they beat us doing what we want to do then then you know, take your hat off to them, but we can't have unforced errors in the red zone, especially with the simplicity that we we really pride ourselves in and what we do in the red zone. Part of me goes, maybe you should not make it as simple, but uh, he's a defensive-minded coach, so I'll take him on that one. Uh, Syracuse offense has scored on 28 of its 30 trips to the red zone, 93% conversion rate, 14th best in the country. Now, Touchdown-wise, they've only scored on 19 of the 30 trips, so only 63%. So that's the positive that you look at in this situation, that maybe if Notre Dame doesn't get a turnover down there, at least if you can hold them to um, if you can hold them to a field goal, that's that's at least a possibility. So that's a, pos- a positive that goes in your direction. Well, it is a little bit of a positive, but they, they do have a, a star-studded cast. They have Sean Tucker, who's... Had five carries, but it, you expect to be back and, and in full swing. And Oh, they're going to – he's going to have 30 carries. Today. And they have a, a great quarterback too. So you expect that their offense coming into this game, a home game, and, and all that momentum, they, that might affect that 63% and push it up a little bit. So I, the Notre Dame defense, they, they, the key thing here obviously is the Notre Dame defense has to figure it out when they're defending the end zone. All right, let's flip the side now. Notre Dame on offense, they've scored on just 21 of 26 trips – in the red zone, that's 81%. Touchdowns on 17 of the 26 trips, that's 65%. So they've actually scored at a higher clip in in the red zone, touchdown-wise, than Syracuse has. Syracuse defense, however, has only given up 12 scores in 16 trips, that's 75%. And their opponents have only scored touchdowns on 50% of their trips to the red zone, 8 of 16. That That is an impressive number that you get into the red zone, you're only scoring 50% of the time a touchdown. That's a very impressive number for for Syracuse's defense. Yeah, especially when you compare it to that Notre Dame, only 81% of the time getting in the end zone. And that seems like a high number still, but think back if you've been watching this season, it feels like they just really aren't that successful on offense when they get it down there. You feel like they're making a mistake, overthrowing here, not getting it, and being forced to kick or... or, uh, being a turnover they they really have struggled and Syracuse shows that they have that ability to force teams to struggle and that's not just anyone that's forcing teams like NC State and forcing teams like Clemson to struggle and it's just it's going to be hard for Notre Dame we had to put this in the first segment because this would not have fit in the game day sprint (laughs) to kickoff that we'll have later but I think it's going to come back up when we go to our keys to the game and and our our predictions because uh red zone is going to be a a major factor unless Unless all of a sudden, you know, Drew Pine is actually throwing the ball and completing the pass to Braden Lindsay, who has to be the most unlucky person in the history of the world in terms of being wide open and not catching. I asked Tommy Reese about that this week, and Tommy was like, yeah, we've missed it, him a few it, times. And then he just went on. That was literally, <laughs> I wasn't delay. I That was his delay. He's like, am I answering this question? Yeah, we missed him a few times. And then he's like, next question. He didn't want to answer that. 
All right, coming up, we'll hear from the Irish on the challenges of Syracuse running back Sean Tucker and quarterback Garrett Strader in our game day sprint to kick off. Up next, my conversation with the first black leprechaun ever at Notre Dame, Mike Brown. Now 22 years removed, he's writing children's books, including one about the Notre Dame leprechaun. He's also a great man of faith, a conversation you won't want to miss when Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays returns on Redeemer Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. When you live in Michiana, a surefire guarantee, your car is going to get dirty. The Waterworks Car Wash in South Bend will get your car clean and shiny. We also have three well-lit self-service bays and vacuums available 24 hours a day. Get 50% off with an oil change at Tom's Car Care Center at the same location, 3201 Sugar Maple Lane off Bendix. Visit us online at tomscarcarecenter.com. Get your car looking new again at the Waterworks Car Wash. Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tyrac. Tyrac also underwrites our internship program with students from our two Michiana Catholic High Schools, St. Joseph and Marion. The students receive practical college-level internship experience and class credit as they help out with our broadcasts of high school football and basketball. More tires, great prices, tyrac.com. Okay, time now for our Focus on Faith interview. Mike Brown was Notre Dame Leprechaun in 1999 and 2000. He was the first black leprechaun ever at Notre Dame, now works on campus, and has started writing children's books, including Little Netta's Gift and The Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame. It's a beautiful uh the leprechaun book i love in particular because it's just the illustrations are in- incredible he's also a great man of faith who has battled seizures over the last year or so and how his faith has helped him overcome that is really powerful stuff here's focus on faith with former irish leprechaun mike brown thanks first of all for for being with us and joining us we're excited to talk to you obviously you got two awesome books that you've published here in the last couple of years just tell us why First yeah. of all, you decided to to publish two children's books. Sure. So first, th- thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here and appreciate the opportunity to, to join you on the show. Uh, what happened really is in 2020, uh, I, I went on a, a personal journey of discovery. Uh, there were a lot of things happening in 2020 mm-hmm. with the global health pandemic. A lot of social injustice issues were, were more featured and highlighted. Uh, and just there's a lot of political divide in our country. A lot more hate was exposed, you know, between us as human beings. And so what I did was I went inside and said, what can I do to help? Uh, what can I do to, in, in using my gifts to make a difference in the world? I knew I was doing things already, but I kind of just went deeper into myself. I listed out what my gifts are, tried to really discern what those were, listed out what my passions were, listed out what my my purpose is on this planet. And so what I came to ultimately realize is I'm an invigorating force for good. And so what I did was I then took that and said, well, how can I manifest that? And it was in September of, of 2020 that uh, my, my grandmother was honored uh, with a, a highway uh, dedicated in her memory in Milwaukee. Uh, it was during the pandemic. So when they did a dedication for it, uh, I wasn't able to be there for it. But when that dedication took place, I thought about my grandmother and all the things she did to have an impact in her community. Um, the story uh, of little Netta, uh, the first book I had is about my grandmother's granddaughter and also my cousin. And the story of her giving her gifts to other kids uh, was a story that just really started to resonate with me. And I thought it was one that needed to be shared with the world because at the time, again, I was thinking about what, what can I do? And what I could do is share messages of love messages of, of joy, of peace. And in this case, it was a message of, of really compassion and being kind to other people. Yeah, Little li, little Netta's Gift was your first book, yep. and then obviously the Leprechaun's Game Day in Notre Dame we'll talk about in yep. a second. But <laughs> your cousin, as you mentioned, True Story, and her birthday was what, two, is two days after Christmas? Two days after Christmas, so and December so, 27th. So, so obviously she has a party, yep. <laughs> and her friends come over, yep. and she realizes they didn't get gifts for Christmas. Right. So right. she decides to start handing out. Handing her- out her own gifts. Yes. Because wow. she got two sets of gifts. And this was at six years old. So this is her sixth birthday party. And uh, I just think about even today, right? I'm 43 now. <laughs> and I don't know if I would give away my gifts. <laughs> uh, so we think about adults. And even, you know, it's it's something that was a, a true act of, of kindness and something that came from the heart. And it just showed the kind of spirit uh, she had. 
at age six. Uh, yeah. It was a pretty powerful uh, statement and just um, thing that she did at that time, especially at that age. And so, yeah, that, that's the story that, that that really set the set the tone and laid the foundation for the work I'm trying to do uh, in, in, in sharing these stories. And so, yeah, Little Miss Gift was the first first book. And, and then the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame. Obviously, this one's pretty obvious. You know, you're, <laughs> you're a former Notre Dame Leprechaun, the first black Leprechaun, and just scanning through the picture, <laughs> through the book. And I know my, my daughter, I can't wait to read it to her because she's going to, like, love the images in this book. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm sure your words are great, too, and she's going to love <laughs> yeah. them, Mike. But the images in here are, are fabulous. Tell us how this... This one came together. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, I'll definitely tell the illustrator. Her name is Marin uh, Ardeguin. She's actually class of 2003 uh, from, from Notre Dame, lived in Farley Hall. So shout out to Farley. Nonetheless, <laughs> so Marin uh, was the illustrator, and she just you know did a phenomenal job. But how it all came to be is while I was actually writing uh, Little Netta's Gift, I needed an editor uh, for that book. I typed and I can't you can't make this stuff up. I typed editor into LinkedIn <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the first person that came up was uh, a lady, a woman named Cara Crin. Cara Crin is the co-author now of the Leprechaun's Game Day in Notre Dame. It was uh, her. She is the one that came up with the idea of the book. She and I were teammates on the cheer squad uh, back uh, during my senior year. She was a freshman. And so we were on the cheer squad together. So that's how I already knew her. And so she and I collaborated on the Leprechaun's Game Day. We needed an illustrator. She reached out to another Farley Hall. She lived in Farley, another Farley Hall classmate. That classmate then put us in contact with Marin, uh, who ultimately uh, did the book. So it was it was wild. It was you talk about <laughs> just things that were meant to be. I mean, so these things, uh, the things that have happened over the last two years, uh, it, it's just that it was already written. I, I I say it's already written because. Uh, they, there are things that I couldn't have, I wouldn't have imagined, right? Two and a half years ago, if you think about it, none of these things were even in sure. my head. <laughs> and so you look at where, 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 where things are today. Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, I know we're on <laughs> Redeemer Radio, but it, it's, it's, it's God, right? It's God being in the mix and, and just letting them use us to do things that we're called and put on this earth to do. Um, I, I had never written a children's book in my life. <laughs> I never even had a, had a had a had a goal or any kind of vision to do so, and so. But then it just poured out of me. But, all while but, being a all, <laughs> husband, father, and actually having a full time full time job. Right? Yes, <laughs> I love university relations. Love, love you, Lou Knight. <laughs> Notre, former Notre Dame leprechaun Mike Brown joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. He's a new author of Little Netta's Gift and the Leprechaun Game Day at Notre Dame, and of course the first. Uh, black leprechaun at Notre Dame. Mike, let's go back to those days when when you first became leprechaun. Uh, this wasn't destined to be. No. I mean, you didn't even know where Notre Dame was. No. Not that long before you showed up at Notre Dame. I did not. Uh, summer of 1996, uh, I, was, I was a rising senior uh, in, in high school, and uh, a guy who's the class of 83 from Notre Dame, I met him during the summer job that I had, and he asked where I was going to school. I told him I was probably like you're going to go to Marquette, which is right in Milwaukee, my hometown, another great school. And he said, well, what about Notre Dame? And I was like, oh, is that out east? Is that in Boston or something? <laughs> I mean, I knew about Notre Dame, right? I followed uh, Indy in terms of from, from an athletics perspective, and I always called it what we I used to say a name brand school. So it had a strong brand. It was like this prestigious place, and so I never thought I would actually – go there <laughs> and so uh but mike this guy mike peterson class of, of 83 he's the one that that followed me and made sure i applied made sure i got everything in on time and then uh, when it came to deciding to go to nd or not uh, i had an option of going to marquette on a full scholarship or coming to notre dame on a partial scholarship i would say and i called my pastor at my church because uh, i had these two great schools that were now right in front of me and he said go with your heart and uh, I said, you know, my heart's with Notre Dame. I didn't really know why, uh, but that's where. So that's the choice I made to come in D. And so, yeah, so to go from there <laughs> and then my first I, I didn't even visit Notre Dame before I um, actually accepted the invitation to come here. And to go from that point, not knowing a single student on campus, not knowing anyone before I come here 
to then, you know, diving straight in to the full Notre Dame, what I call Notre Dame experience. I got involved with different clubs on campus, started a new club, uh, was just active in the community. So there's a lot of different things that I did when I just I just really tried to embrace the entire Notre Dame experience. And then <laughs> my sophomore year, uh, it was the fall of my sophomore year. I never forget it. There was a game, a football game. My roommates, you know, we're going crazy in the stands. My roommates like, Mike, you should try out for Leprechaun. And then the leprechaun was running around going crazy on the field. I'm like, ah, I don't know, whatever. And so, um, yeah, they, they're the ones who planted the seed and, and ultimately convinced me to try out. Another twist to, to that, I'll just tell you, um, is I actually was applying to go study abroad in London. And I submitted that application in that same fall. And I would have studied abroad in London in the following uh, fall of, of, of 99. And... I did not get into that program, right? I wasn't accepted into that program, and it's because of not getting into that program that I then tried out for Leprechaun. So I think about what would have happened in February. I got that notice in February of 99 that I didn't get into the London program, and it's because of that letter that I tried out a couple months later to become the Leprechaun, and, and I won. And my life <laughs> hasn't been the same ever since. So I thank God every day <laughs> for that London letter. I keep a lot of times... When things don't go according to my own plans and what I intend for uh, something to happen, I apply for something and don't get it, or I intend to go someplace and don't get to go, I'm like, you know what? It's my London. It's a London letter. And so maybe this door was closed, but there's something else that's that's maybe around the corner that I don't even know of. And so that's what happened there. <laughs> so what was it like not being just a leprechaun, but also breaking that barrier? You're the first black leprechaun. Uh, you know, now it's been more than 20 years since... I'm trying not to make you feel old, but uh, it's been more than 20 years. What was your experience like? I say it was a couple of years ago. <laughs> I say a couple of decades, but a couple of years. So it was a wonderful experience. I think I think what really helped make the experience great for me is I never lost focus on on who I am. Right. I try. I really focused on tra staying true to me. I wasn't trying to be. uh I'm not Irish. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I'm a human being, right? I'm not, uh, I wasn't trying to, I couldn't, I'm not a gymnast. Okay. There were certain, I just couldn't do, but I knew I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of spirit. I had a lot of passion. And so I, I focused on that. I just focused on being a great ambassador for the university. Now with that, I also focused on my own cultural experiences, right? So I grew up in, in going to church often and we sang and we danced, like, you know, in, in the church. And so those are things that I did <laughs> as, as the leprechaun, right? So these are different aspects of the position that I, that they were an extension of me. And so I just kind of brought it into, into that, uh, into the position itself. So as an example, I started up a step club here, uh, the first class steppers in Notre Dame back in, back in the day. And I had the first class steppers perform with me at the pep rally uh, when we played against BC in my last home game of the year. So that was kind of a convergence of a lot of different worlds of mine, right? So it was a lot of my friends who weren't student athletes uh, that were part of the steppers group. And then now here I am as a leprechaun stepping in front of people. They've never seen this before. A lot of them haven't had it. And so, but that was kind of an example of just staying true to who I am uh, and, and, but, and bringing something unique and different to the, to the position itself. And just having fun. <laughs> having fun with it, too. You're listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Our special guest today, former Notre Dame leprechaun Mike Brown. You mentioned your faith a lot already in this conversation. How did your faith, how big was your faith growing up? How important was it to you? And maybe how did it grow at Notre Dame? You're not Catholic, but you're Christian, but you go to a faith-based institution. How, how did that your journey kind of grow throughout your life, including your time when you were a student at Notre Dame? When it comes to, I guess, I don't know if it's irony or what, but I look at children's books and, and I'm writing them now, but a lot of my faith was developed when I was a child, mm -hmm. right? So uh, we went to church <laughs> back in Milwaukee. We're talking five, six days a week. I know some people go once a, once a week for an hour. Well, that was the, the start of our Sunday morning service uh, in the church that I grew up in. We would go twice on Sundays. We'd do a Tuesday night service, Thursday night Bible study. I was an usher, so we would have usher meetings. I would go to, I was in the choir, so we had choir rehearsal. So a lot of the things, uh, a, lot, a lot of my faith uh, was built on those experiences and being part of that, uh, that church community growing up. 
And so that's kind of, that's what laid the foundation really for the, the rest of my life. If you really think about it, there's things right now where I've, I'm faced with different decisions, but I, I reference, I refer back to something that my pastor may have said when I came to Notre Dame, then this is where I was just exposed to more types of faith, right? So you think about Catholicism, there were a number of other people who they don't have a particular religion uh, that they focus on, but, uh, but just being around people of different faith backgrounds, engaging with them, learning about their traditions, learning about their experiences. But then at the end of the day, what you find out is, look, you love people, you care for people, you treat people right. You know what I mean? You, you do, uh, again, what, what, what's, people can argue what's right and, and just be a good person <laughs> as best you can. And that's kind of, that's what the focus was. So from that perspective, it just opened my eyes to the different types of faiths that are out there. Um, but I still stayed, you know, with with my own practices in terms of sure. uh, being a, a Protestant Protestant background. And, you know, and then not that long ago, a year ago, you, you have some major health scares. So you yeah. go through uh, a number of seizures. Yeah. And you kind of were telling me before we started the interview that, you know, what got you through it yeah. What was your faith? A thousand percent. So August 26th is a date uh, of 2021, a date I'll never forget. Uh, at this time, uh, we were, so from my, my job at Notre Dame, we were just about to kick off the football season, which is a busy time of year for us uh, who work in development at Notre Dame. I was in the middle of trying to finish up Little Netta's Gift. Uh, we were l literally trying to get the book to the printing press so they could be ready by December. I was in the middle of working on the Leprechaun's Game Day book, which was still being developed. And, you know, like you say, trying to be a husband <laughs> and, a, and a father. And so on August 26th, though, I had my first ever seizure. And I thought it was a fluke initially. I was like, okay, doctors say, oh, everyone's good for one. Uh, but then I had another one on September 18th. And then that's when I realized something was, was really wrong. I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And while it was very difficult to not be able to drive, have something happen to you that you don't know what actually caused it, why it happened. Uh, and as you're still trying to continue to live your life, right, with the uncertainty of, is this going to happen again today, tonight, tomorrow, in, in a week? Am I going to have another seizure in a week, right, if I'm in a meeting? And so, but my faith kept me so grounded, so focused on, you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm going to make it through it. There's some kind of underlying message or something that's that's in this. And, and God's going to take care of me no matter what. Um, when I had my first seizure, I, I was about to take my daughter to soccer, to her soccer practice. I was going to drive her to that soccer practice. And uh, she had to go potty. <laughs> so thank God she had to go potty because when she went, I sat on the couch. And that's when I had the seizure. And mm -hmm. so when I think about that, I think about the fact that God protected us and protected my, my family in that. I could have been in that car and had a seizure at that time. Who knows what could have happened to me, my daughter, my wife, and anyone else that we may have something may have happened. And so I think about that moment and that's kind of really one of the things that kept me going right throughout the entire journey. Cause I've had eight, nine more seizures since then and ah. they've all, but I've, but I've been protected, right? I've had this protection around me each and every time. And while it's definitely frustrating, I mean, trust me, man, <laughs> I'm still a little on edge, right? Every day yeah. about it. Cause you just don't know when it's going to happen. But I try to just rest in the assurance that I'm, I'm in God's care. He's protecting me. He's watching over me. And Hey, <laughs> there, there's nothing that, that can really harm me. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's people it. listening can't see my eyes, but <laughs> you know, and you had already told me the story, but just wa watching you tell me the story and just, Knowing that that you know that feeling that protection of God making sure that you and your daughter were kept safe, yeah, man, that's power, powerful stuff, man. It's real. <laughs> it's it, real. It it is. It is yeah. real. And uh, man, thanks for sharing that story. That's that's some powerful stuff. How how are you doing now? I feel I'm great now. So I'm six months uh, seizure free now. So thank God. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I uh, we my wife and I decided that I would wait six months. Uh, I wanted to be six months seizure, seizure free before I drove a car again. And so I thankfully drove over here <laughs> today. So I'm thankful to be driving again, but yeah. So, uh, you know, the journey continues. I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, I'm still looking at some of the lessons that, that I've, I've learned from not driving for over a year, which is, when you think about it, it's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, you think of all the people who I can't imagine it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, well, you really, you, you come to realize that 
you need others on this journey that I think God works through uh, to help you on the journey and that you need them. Uh, so it's like, yeah, anyhow, that was <laughs> sounds like we got so a, sounds like we got a third book. Eventually. Oh yeah! Oh, we got seventy-eight books. Oh, seven. Oh yeah, the list is seventy-eight. Oh, it's oh, it's man. going. Yeah, well, all right. I'll be we back. Don't, we don't. We, don't, we got a lot of books. To yeah, go we got a lot of books. Mike, thanks, thanks so much for taking the time to share your story with us. You know, maybe after book seventy-seven comes out, we'll we'll have to do this again. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for the work you were doing. Great, Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, joining us here, and you, you feel the energy in that interview, and we'll continue to pray for Mike that uh, those seizures are under control and that he doesn't have any many. But as I said, I mean, even just listening back again, and I've listened to it when it was edited and everything like that, that story about you know just what could have been, and and God making sure the family was protected and him and his daughter were safe because she just had to go to the bathroom. And it allowed him to have the seizure on a couch instead of in the car. Uh, really impacts me as a dad, uh, uh, you know, as a girl dad especially. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's a, a great story and a great perspective he puts on not just that and how he's kind of feels like he's being watched over and, and it's, you know, he's protected. But his whole experience there listening through that, I mean, he embraced, he talks about how he embraced his time at Notre Dame. He made it his own, which you know, is really special starting zone clubs, bringing it all together as the leprechaun and, and kind of embracing that school spirit at Notre Dame and, and kind of his whole mentality and perspective going through that and then going forward through life and now the challenges he's facing, but still writing these great children's books. Uh, it just uh, very impressive. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this about the Le- leprechaun's game day at Notre Dame. My my daughter got a quick peek at it. And her quick reaction was, ooh, like looking at the illustrations. Now, we haven't read it. It'll be probably the bedtime story. Maybe not tonight because they're playing Syracuse. It, it depends on who wins yeah, tonight. How depe- about that? Uh, it might not even depend on who. Well, yeah, maybe maybe if Syracuse wins, the, oh. she'll, get the, she'll get the story after all to make her feel better about Notre Dame. I don't know. If Notre Dame wins, I don't think I could handle reading the story for All right. Uh, and the Leprechaun's game day at Notre Dame is available at the Notre Dame Hammis Bookstore and online at Lep gameday.com want to let you know that indiana physical therapy has partially underwritten irish sports saturday serving indiana's physical therapy needs since 1988 with 21 locations indiana physical therapy continues as an independent therapist owned company with a heart towards patient focused care indiana physical therapy where people go to get better time for a break when we return it's our game day sprint to kickoff we break down the matchup against unlv that's next on notre dame federal credit union's irish sports saturdays hi i'm brady i'm william and i'm murphy from saint joseph high school i'm claire and i'm ian from marion high school because of tyrac students like us get to test drive what it's like to be a part of the broadcasting world with the 2022 redeemer radio 957 sports interns tyrac makes our program roll smoothly not only do we gain miles of experience, we get class credit too. For more tires and great prices, visit TireRack.com. Thank you, TireRack. Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tony Letcher of Health Markets. Tony is a parishioner at Quinnipiac Catholic Church in Mishawaka and a licensed insurance agent. His services include Medicare, family, or individual health insurance or life insurance. His number is 855-776-2438. His website is tletcher.com. All right, it's Notre Dame and Syracuse noon Eastern kickoff today at the JMA Wireless Dome in Syracuse. The first meeting in the dome between these two teams since 2000. 2003, the 11th all-time meeting. Notre Dame leads 7-3, and Notre Dame has won four straight in the series, but all those games have been at Notre Dame or in New Jersey on a neutral site. So this is the first time meeting in Syracuse since 2003 when Notre Dame lost 38-12. Syracuse, of course, uh, suffering its first loss of the season last week, but it was on the road to number 5 Clemson. Syracuse was in it the whole way, and they kind of blew it at the end, basically, in terms of falling apart in the second half. Just had a very unproductive second half. But Syracuse has the sixth-best scoring defense in the country, giving up just 15.1 points per game. And uh, so so that, that will be interesting in that regard here today. But let's start on the other side of the ball. The Irish defense versus the Syracuse offense, John. And it's Angel DiCarlo, John Brock, back with you here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. And it starts with running back Sean Tucker, uh, one of the nation's best uh, you know, 
689 yards rushing this season, basically averaging 100 yards per game. But for whatever reason, only have five carries last week, and that'll drive any any fan crazy when you have that productive of a running back and he's not carrying the ball as much. Well, I think it'll drive Sean Tucker crazy as well. <laughs> you look at it, he he's, could be more fired up because of that going into this week too. I mean, you look at all those stats, he's an impressive running back. You look at how he plays, and he's just good at, he's good at catching, he's good at running, he shows speed and agility, and can beat guys around the edge on really good teams and really good defenses. And he's just... He's really a threat that Notre Dame should be concerned about, especially when you look at what Courtney Reese did against Notre Dame's defense last week. He's a good running back. This is a better running back, and that's going to test Notre Dame. And and he also has 28 catches on the year for with two touchdowns there as well. Again, only the five carries last week against Clemson, and it's interesting. He tweeted out, I'm healthy, and he actually put, put it out there. You usually don't get that, yeah. as usually uh, a kid just filed saying, I'm good. Um, and Dino Babers, the head coach for Syracuse, owned it Monday yeah. and said, this shouldn't have happened. We need to get him the ball more. And uh, so you expect that he will get the ball more. Garrett Trader, um, if he's still standing after getting pummeled in the pocket last week a few <laughs> times by Clemson, look out Notre Dame next week for Drew Pine. But Schrader's numbers, really impressive. 123 of 177, 70% completion percentage, uh, 227 yards per game, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. And if you take out the sacks, which obviously matter, but in terms of the rushing efficiency, uh, if you, um, you don't add in the yards lost for the sacks, 99 rushes for 486 yards and six touchdowns. The one negative is you can sack him, but he is mobile, which is weird. Usually you don't see a a, a quarterback that's mobile getting sacked as much, but you can yeah. definitely get to him. Well, it's because he does like to, to pass as well. He likes to wait and try and get those passing yards. And he's 70%, as you say, almost 1,600 yards. So he can pass, but and then if, if it is a design runner, if he has to scramble and gets out, he can take off. So it adds to that dual threat, then you have Tucker and you have Schrader and they really just have a, a well-balanced, good offense that people don't normally associate with Syracuse. Here's J.D. Bertrand and Marcus Freeman on Tucker and Schrader. They're a very dynamic offense, and, I mean, they run a lot of different play types. And, I mean, the biggest thing, like, right out of the gates, you see, like, they have a very dynamic quarterback and a very dynamic running back. And so I think the biggest thing is going to be making sure that we can prevent those two guys from having their game. And so, like, looking at it so that, those two guys aren't the like necessarily the playmakers and trying to negate the plays that they make and be able to keep the quarterback in the pocket. Man, is he a good a good running back? Thirty four is uh, I mean he's talented and he is in a home run type running back. I mean he can, but he also he can can be a threat in the pass game. And I think you saw him you know catch a couple balls versus uh, Clemson too. So um, he is a, a talented running back. Tough. I've seen him just run through guys and and. You know, the quarterback's special, you know, and I know he's a he's a veteran guy, played two years at Mississippi State and in his second season here. But, you know, the one thing you've seen is, is I saw a stat, and he's been with four different co offensive coordinators. So he's he understands the game of football. He's not just a one-system guy. And um, he can extend plays with his feet. He can run. Um, he's got a good arm, makes good decisions. And so um, it's going to be a, a, a huge task for us. All right, that's J.D. Bertrand and then Marcus Freeman talking about Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader. And the, the, the main pass catcher is the tight end, Aronde Gadsden, 37 catches, 600 yards, five touchdowns. You'll notice something. They're kind of similar to Notre Dame in the sense of not really receivers <laughs> as the main targets uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But, look, it's a very good offense. And here's, here's the bottom line. That's not the strength of their team. So Notre Dame's defense has to come to play because they're going to need them because when we flip the side and talk now, Irish offense versus Syracuse defense, Notre Dame's going to have trouble in this area. Yeah, and when you just look at it as a whole, the, the, the statistics, you look at them, and Syracuse has the advantage everywhere you look. They have the, the offense, 14th in red zone scoring, 36th in overall scoring Notre Dame's. Uh, offense is 84th in red zone scoring and 81st in scoring offense. So it's it's really just a mismatch everywhere, and it is really on that Notre Dame offense, as we've talked a little bit about. They just haven't been able to get much going, especially in that passing game. Syracuse, their tight end is a leading receiver as well, but Notre Dame, they it seems like they have nothing other than Mayer, and he made some great catches last week, mm -hmm. which we all saw, but it's they got to find some way to get things going 
Audric Estime was not really a factor in la- the last game, and he's the leading rusher, so a lot of question marks on that Notre Dame offense. And, and Syracuse giving up just 15 points per game, sixth in the country. Cornerback Garrett Williams questionable. Linebacker Michael Jones, uh, 53 tackles, 5.5 tackles for loss, and three sacks. Um, you know, again, it, it, the, the Irish offense has to come to play. What, what are your keys to the game here, John? Uh, you know, for Notre Dame, they really got to get that passing game going. They they haven't found anyone really other than Michael Mayer. They need to, and they need to balance back out the running game. Logan Diggs had a good game, but on a lot of carries, uh, they're going to have to figure out Chris Tyree working in there and what's wrong with Audric Estime. Uh, for the defense, they just got to contain Tucker. That's the key. You contain him, you can put more back in coverage and really limit the passing threat from Schrader. And that's all they have to that that's all they have to do. But that's a lot. Syracuse, if they just play their game, I mean, they just play their passing game, get Tucker the ball, and lock down defense against Notre Dame. I mean, it's a, a lot simpler road for them. I think Syracuse, uh, Notre Dame's got to force a t- turn. They got to yeah. win the turnover battle, which is a lot easier said than done <laughs> because this team has not done that all yeah. year. But I think they need to win the turnover battle. All right, what's your prediction? Uh, my prediction, as I said, it's an easier path for Syracuse today. I think it's going to be 24-17, the Orange get the win. Wow! Uh, uh, that might be a last-minute field goal to make it 24-17, but I think Syracuse will get the win. You know, uh, I can't do it. I can't pick. I can't let this show have both Syracuse picks because I feel like it'll be a jinx <laughs> to my alma mater. So... I say Notre Dame goes plus two in turnovers today. Wow. Angel will be throwing things at the wall. Well, not tweeting it, but just throwing things at the wall on a personal level. And Drew Pine somehow connects to Braden Lindsay for two touchdowns. Wow. And Notre Dame pulls it out in a weird game, 25-23. Silly things will happen, and, and I will be upset as a fan because Syracuse has pulled me in for the first time in a long time on the football <laughs> side of things. And I'm ready to have my heart broken. So <laughs> that's what will happen. Uh, so there you go, Irish fans. That will do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Zach Smith. For John Brock, I'm Angel DiCarlo. Notre Dame at Syracuse and noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central kickoff. You can watch nationally on ABC, and we will, of course, be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 Central, here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. We close our show the same way the Irish traditionally close their pregame, in prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame Mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary Our Lady, May we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Enjoy today's game. Join Bishop Kevin Rhodes for a new episode of Truth in Charity every Wednesday during the noon hour. Each week, he has a conversation with host Kyle Hyman about scripture, saints, and church news. Listen to episodes anytime by going to spokestreet.com slash askbishop or search for Truth in Charity on any podcast app. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.